You are listening to WPRK 91.5, the voice of Rollins College, Winter Park, Florida. Welcome to the Crummer Hour on WPRK 91.5, Rollins College. I'm your host, J.B. Adams. Today's show is brought to you by the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College and Victor Media Group. You can check out Victor Media Group and its growing library of shows and podcasts at victormediagroup.co. Today we are talking with Crummer alumna and financial analyst Cameron Dawson. The first half of the show is an interview recorded in the summer of 2020 and originally broadcast in September. Stay tuned for the second half of the show when we'll have a live Q&A session with Cameron Dawson to learn more about her exciting career. But first, let's get started with the Crummer Connections interview. Welcome to Crummer Connections podcast series. I'm your host, J.B. Adams. In this series, I'm talking with Crummer alumni and inviting them to share their accomplishments, challenges, and best business advice. Today's show is brought to you by the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. Consistently ranked as the number one MBA in the state of Florida, the Crummer School offers a variety of educational programs to prepare you to become a global, responsible business leader. The Crummer Graduate School of Business, experience excellence. Today's guest is Cameron Dawson. She graduated from Crummer with her MBA in 2012, and she has had an eight-year career with Bank of America, where she currently serves as director, senior equity analyst in the chief investment office. Welcome, Cameron, to the show. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. I want to start first with unpacking your title. Can you describe what... (laughs) Director, Senior Equity Analyst in the Chief Investment Office means in layman terms. Yes. So I I work for Bank of America and we are the chief investment office that serves a lot of the private wealth management uh, and trust management within the bank. And so I act as an equity analyst or senior equity analyst on on the team and I cover the industrial stocks. Uh, So think big uh, machinery companies, aerospace and defense, old industry. Uh, It's extraordinarily fascinating. It's just, you know, kind of the the nuts and bolts behind how things work. So paint a picture for us. Are you working directly with the, uh, the, the customers that you serve mm-hmm. or are you working with the team that in turn works with the customers? So it's, it's, it's actually both. Uh, on the one hand, I help our portfolio managers make decisions, whether it's through uh, our internal strategies, think like a typical sort of like a mutual fund um, in, in concept. And then I also work directly with clients when they need to bring me in for special situations. And so it's nice to have my hands in in both areas. Uh, Not many people in my role get to do both client interaction as well as, you know, typical kind of asset allocation stock selection. Um, In a moment, we're going to uh, learn more about your backstory, but I have one more question about your current role. Anyone who listens to you can tell that you are passionate about it, but tell us what you love about this role at Bank of America. I love that I, I, it never gets any easier (laughs) and that every single day is completely different. It's, it's not a, a kind of role where you accomplish something and you're done and it's, and you can rest. Um, The market and the world changes every single day. And so it's my job to be well-read, well-educated, and to be as in tune with things as I possibly can be, which means I can't rest. You know, I I have to stay on all the time. And and that kind of engagement is really exciting. I don't get bored. Um, and, And I find myself very lucky that doing research, just like I was in, you know, in school uh, is my job. You know, most people also don't get to use their degrees and their work, you know, between economics and finance, I get to use both of them. Uh, and I think that that's a, you know, a, a, a huge um, honor, right? To be able to you know, be, in, uh, be able to utilize all of that education. I, I think that's wonderful to hear. And it also kind of sets up our transition in that our audience might be surprised to learn that you were not always a banker and you had your, you had to find your way into this career. Tell us where you were born. 
Orlando, Florida. Orlando, Florida, what neighborhood? I grew up uh, near Dr. Phillips. Okay. And uh, did you go to the magnet school there? No, I went to Olympia for one year and then I quit normal high school and so I could dance full time and I homeschooled myself online. All right. So let's back that up a little bit. Okay. <laughs> have a traditional education and uh, not everybody knows that you were a dancer, but uh, at what age did you start dancing? Since I can remember, uh, I have memories of being super tiny and dancing and, and it really was by the time I was 12 that I said, this is what I want to do. This is all I want to do. Okay. And were your parents uh, artistic people? Did, did you grow up in an artistic household? I would say so. Uh, my dad is a film producer and so he's always been inclined to be quite artistic. Uh, my mom uh, was a school teacher but still very artistic as well. Both incredibly supportive of what I wanted to do in my dancing and really enabled me to continue to take it up to the next level and, and make sacrifices, you know, in, in quitting high school that, that, you know, many parents might have been a little bit resistant to. And what I'm curious about is, did you initiate this and say, mom and dad, I really want to be a dancer or did they, you know, guide you to it? Oh, no, it was all me. Um, I just knew that I couldn't live without it. And I just wanted more. And that I was willing to put other things on the back burner. Uh, I was always very self-motivated. And so I think that it gave my parents some comfort that if they let me homeschool myself, that I would, I would do okay. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, I mean, one day I just came home from school and I said, mom, dad, this is what I want to do. I want to move to Miami and I want to dance full time. And your parents were very supportive of you, not just in saying, yes, you can do it, but they would show up and- oh, uh, yeah. never missed a performance ever, ever. Um, I, I joke that my parents used to tailgate my ballet recitals when I was young. They got such a kick out of it. My mom would wake up at six in the morning to be able to get tickets right in the front row. Uh, and even, you know, even when I was still dancing all through, all through Crummer, never, ever missed a performance, even if it was the same thing over and over again. And so from a business perspective, mm -hmm. ballet is your first exposure to business. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I say that because when you quit school and you said, I want to move to Miami, you were how old at this time? 15. 15. And what was the arrangement intended to be? The intention was to completely immerse myself in, in the training. Dancing was your early career, and this was your first exposure to business. What were some mm -hmm. of the lessons that you got in a business context by dancing? Yes, dancing in ballet dancing in, in particular requires an incredible amount of discipline and focus and pain tolerance or, or uh, you know, uh, facing challenges. Uh, and so this, the, the dancing enabled me to have these skills to be able to press through the challenges um, as well as to learn how to present myself. And I think that is something that ballet and dancing in general uh, is, is so wonderful because it teaches you how to stand up straight and hold your head up high and move with elegance and be able, then it translates really well into being able to converse with elegance and to be able to present yourself in, in, a, in a business environment. Uh, and it's funny because I, I still meet people uh, now when I'm you know, doing business and they will say, well, you were a ballet dancer at one point. And I go, how'd you know? And it, it kind of, you don't realize it, but it exudes from the way that you carry yourself. And I think that that, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah, and people get, can just see it in your presence. Uh, so I want to paint a picture of, of how all of these come together. Uh, you're a ballet dancer. You've got your whole future ahead mm -hmm. of you. You were getting lined up to go to a competition. What's the name of the competition? So I was all prepared to go to the Varna International Ballet Competition, essentially the Olympics of ballet in Europe. 
And about four weeks prior to that, I got really injured. And I had been struggling a great deal with ankle injuries and knee injuries. You know, my body was, was um, you know, really feeling the pain from all of the impact and the, and, you know, the, the, the training that I was doing. I, I just want to back up for a second and make it clear what Varna means. So Varna yeah. happens only every two years. And it is like the Olympics of ballet dancing, and it is a big deal. So I don't want to just blow over that and, and not acknowledge. If you go to Varna and you compete and you get recognition for competing, it opens up all kinds of doors for you in the world of ballet. So tell us how the surgery turned out and if you went to Varna to perform. So I didn't go to Varna. I, okay. I pulled out of the competition so that I could have the surgery and they were able to, to remove the bones successfully, but it was a long recovery. It took about four or five months before I was fully up to speed. And I soon after started auditioning for companies and got a job with the Sarasota Ballet. Uh, and I continued to dance and it just got more and more painful and more and more stressful on my body. And I remember the moment I was making a decision, uh, my mom thankfully had forced me to take you know, the ACT and the SAT and to sign up for classes for college just online. And I'm sitting with a contract in my hand and a lease to move to Sarasota. And I looked at her and said, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I'm in too much pain. And so that was two weeks before the semester was supposed to start for UCF, which is where I had, I had you know, signed up for, for internet online classes. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm going to be a college student and I'm going to go to college. I hadn't been in a classroom in over three years. I had no idea if I was going to be good at school or not. I always loved school, but I completely changed uh, my direction and said, I'm no longer a ballet dancer. It's not my identity anymore. Mm -hmm. So it, it sounds like you were done with dancing, but <laughs> what we will find out is that dancing wasn't quite done with you. So yeah. what happened after you went to UCF? So I was there for a year and I had the fortitude uh, to be able to be in a classroom with this fantastic professor and he said, you got to get out of here. You need to be at a liberal arts school and you need to go to Rollins. And I said, okay. Um, and so I just walked myself into the admissions uh, uh, building at Rollins and said, I want to go here. And I went through the whole process. And, and the challenge was that I was a transfer student. And I went from being, you know, my bright future scholarship at UCF to, you know, going to a private school. And so I really had to make the decision of how long I could stay at Rollins, you know, that I could afford. And so I accelerated my time in undergrad and, and did it fairly quickly in two years for the rest of the degree. But the real draw and what, what kept me so engaged at Rollins was my dancing there. And I had really, closed off to the idea of ever dancing at school. Didn't want to do it. And my, my mom, again, said, you have to take a dance class. You need the credits. You need the arts credits. Just go take a dance class. Fine. So I walk into the dance studio and it was Dr. Robert Sherry. And after one class, he said, you have to be in our spring concert. You have to be in our winter concert. What are you doing? Why aren't you performing with us? And I said, I don't know, no. And, and what made was, okay? what was the new kind of dance? It wasn't ballet anymore. It wasn't ballet. Uh, it was modern and jazz, and it completely changed my view of dance. I mean, it reignited my love of performing, and it kind of healed some of the wounds of having to walk away from it. And my favorite dance performance uh, experiences are on the Annie Russell stage. Mm -hmm. I you know, had the opportunity to work with incredible choreographers and do these beautiful pieces for the local community at Rollins. And it made my, you know, not just my undergrad experience, but really my Crummer experience as well. I stayed uh, and continued to perform all through that time. 
And it was a wonderful balance because I was artistic on the, on the one hand through the dancing, but I got to be you know, very academically challenged on the other. And it, I, I think that's what made me so happy during my time um, at Rollins. Yeah. It, hearing the way that you took artistic expression and turned it into a lesson that anybody, not just business people can apply, it is really something special. When we come back in a moment, we will hear about Cameron's Crummer experience. Back in a moment. Hi, my name is Brandon Anderson, an early advantage MBA student here at the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. My time during undergraduate was a complete immersive experience. When I was searching for the next opportunity after graduation, an MBA at Crummer was the best option for me. Crummer has helped me to gain the aptitude and grow as a leader, which have both been essential in reaching my potential. For more information on the Crummer Early Advantage MBA program, visit crummer.rollins.edu. All right, we are back with Cameron Dawson, and now it's time to hear about her Crummer experience. We're going to start with the decision. How did you find Crummer, and, and what led you to deciding to get your MBA? So I had a fantastic friend, one of my first friends I met in, in undergrad, who was an economics major along with me named John Cluwin, and he was a 3-2, and he said, you have to do this. It's, it's the, the best, most expedient program to be able to do both. And so I went down that path and I actually was able to finish the undergrad completely within the two years that I was there. So I graduated outright uh, and then continued on, on to Crummer. But at the same time, you know, when I graduated from undergrad, it was 2010. We were in the midst of the financial crisis and it was really hard to find a job as an economics major from the small liberal arts school in Florida. And thankfully, uh, because of the way that Crummer had its scholarship program at the time, which was related to your GMAT scores, it made it so that I could afford to continue and stay. And I really wasn't done with Rollins as well, right? I'd only had two years there and, and I would have been able to give, I would have given anything to be able to continue uh, that study. And that's what Crummer allowed me to do and just happened to get, you know, an advanced degree on top of it. And so you also continued to dance while you were studying in grad school, yes? Yeah, and, and that, was, that was the most extraordinary thing is that I didn't have to stop the performing. I could continue to be very involved in the artistic community at Rollins overall. And so it, again, gave me this incredible balance between business and the arts. And being able to have both of those, I think, brought so much joy into what I was, into what I was doing. Okay, before we get deeper into your actual Crummer study time, we're going mm -hmm. to play Crummer Insider Free Association. I'm going okay. to read you a series of prompts and invite you to say the first thing that comes into your mind. Are you ready to play, Cameron? Oh, most definitely. Great. Uh, here's the first one. I started my Crummer education in the year? 2010. And I finished classes and graduated in the year? 2012. My cohort name and number was? 17. EAMBA e 17. Um, the next item is my favorite course was? Definitely Dr. Singleton Security Analysis. Okay. And my favorite professor was? Dr. Singleton. <laughs> so my final question for the, the Crummer experience, you've already touched on a little bit. What surprised you while you were at Crummer? that I got into finance. I would have never, ever, ever expected myself to be interested in finance. I had studied economics, which is related in many ways, but you know, as I'm sure you can tell, it's like I, I was always considering myself a very artistic person. And so I never wanted to be a suit and work at a bank or, you know, you know, be away from the arts. 
And I really was looking for an academic challenge. And I asked all around to you know, my friends in the program who were maybe a year older, I said, what's the hardest class I can take? And everybody said, oh yeah, Dr. Singleton security analysis class. If you want a challenge, that's it. And so I signed up and within one, maybe two classes, I was hooked and I said, this is what I have to do. And I was way in over my head. I, you know, I didn't know anything about this and I would spend hours in Dr. Singleton's office, like trying to understand you know, what he was getting at. And anybody who knows Dr. Singleton knows that he doesn't just give you the answer. I mean, you really have to work to, to be able to, yeah. to earn it and, and to lead yourself to the answer. And it really was Dr. Singleton who said, you know, kind of midway through, through the year, through the course, he said, you need to do this. You, you, you'll be good at this. And so that was the big pivot point for me because never, like I said, never in my life did I ever expect to, to want to do this. And I was, I just, I, I, I was bitten and I, I said, I, I can't do anything else. And so he, he, introduced me to some people in New York who worked in finance and opened up the Rollins Alumni Network to me up there, who then introduced me to a bunch of other people. And it was so eye-opening and, and I knew that at some point I had to end up in New York doing finance. And it wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for him. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't just helping you with a class, he really got you started on this career in New York City in finance. So he, he's really kind of going above and beyond, but from all of this experience, what would you say is the takeaway? I think it's having an open mind to change directions and not pigeonholing yourself. And it would have been very easy for me uh, to say, well, you know, I'll do advertising or marketing because it's kind of the you know the combo of business and and the arts and to have the open mind to go in and seek out a challenge i think paid off um, in an incredible way because now i am so engaged in my career i love what i do and i, I can't imagine myself not doing anything different mm -hmm. and if i hadn't had the open mind to say Oh well, you know, maybe, you know, maybe there aren't a lot of, you know, former ballet dancers in finance, but I can still be really good. I don't have to have the, you know, kind of the background or pedigree in order to be good at this. Yeah. And do you think you turned into a suit? Oh, I'm a suit, a suit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Though, you know, it's a shame we're in the middle of the pandemic and I have I have all these suits I can't like I can't wear. Uh, but but yes, I mean, you know, with, with a certain artistic flair. And I think that is, you know, I, I work for a big organization that still allows me to be an individual and celebrates the different, you know, individuality that I bring to the table. And, and I mean, that, that's been extraordinary because throughout my whole career at, at Bank of America, I have had people who, who said, what can we do to help you achieve your dreams and goals? And it's kind of what Crummer did as well, right? Which is Dr. Singleton saying, this is your goal. What can I do to help? When we come back in a moment, we will hear more about Cameron's post-Crummer career. Stay with us. We are back with Cameron Dawson, and uh, we want to hear more about what happened after your Crummer experience. So somehow you found your way to Bank of America. It was made possible because of the Edward Moses Scholarship, which the Finance Department awarded me. And it's one of the coolest scholarships because it's a postgraduate scholarship, which I remember Dr. Singleton saying, this is so that you can wait for the right job. Don't take the first job, wait for the right job. And I had had the advice to, from uh, people that I met in New York through the, the Crummer Alumni Network to say, take the CFA. And so I signed up for, for the CFA and found out they did a scholarship program. And the person adjudicating that scholarship was a portfolio manager at US Trust, which was part of Bank of America at the time. And he said, you know, you got the scholarship, but would you like to come in for an interview? 
And it turned out, you know, and, and this is the challenge of, you know, doing an MBA right out of undergrad is that it required two years of experience. So they actually gave me a courtesy interview, uh, not, you know, not a real one, uh, because I didn't have the, the work experience requirement. And I guess the interviews went well. Uh, I got the job and I continued through the you know, CFA study process, completed it within two years. And I, like I had mentioned, you know, I had these wonderful bosses who said, what do you want to do uh, with your life? What do you want to do with your career? And I said, I want to work in research and I want to work in New York. And they said, okay, fine. And so the day that I finished level three of the CFA, um, three exams that you have to take over the course of, of an extended period of time. The day I finished and got my results of level three, I got a phone call and said, do you want to come up and move to New York? Uh, we need an industrials analyst on the equity team. And I said, yes, <laughs> I, yes, 100%. And I moved up with two suitcases and a dream a month later. Is that true? Two suitcases? Two suitcases and a dream. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I went up for a weekend, found an apartment, and then moved in. Let's uh, talk about sort of bringing this all together. How do you feel mm -hmm. that you're different as a result of Cromer? My background is so unique, not because of the dancing, but because of how I got into, you know, in, into the world in, in finance compared to my peers. And it also makes me work really hard. I mean, I had, a, I, had a, I had an experience when I was first interviewing up in New York and I had somebody look at my resume and say, oh man, it's, it, it's really impressive what, what you have done and accomplished. But just so you know, nobody would take you seriously because of where you went to school. I thought, wow, well, first of all, I don't, you know, I don't want to work there. But it, it, it solidified that I need to seek out places that celebrate individuality and different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And I think about things different than my peers. And that, that can be very powerful and, and very additive to, you know, in finance, when you're trying to get an edge in different ways. And so I, I, I think that it's given me different perspective. Yeah, and, and with that in mind, do you have a message for your fellow Crummer alumni? Yes, uh, please. <laughs> it is so hard to break into the scene in finance in New York or just in New York in general or any other big cities. And I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Dr. Singleton connecting me with alums like Luke Brown or Alex DeBee. And I really think it's our responsibility to pay that forward um, that even if, you know, as Dr. Singleton ret retires, that we can still remain very connected to the school so as to make it possible for people like me to break into this world. Um, because we have so much to offer to, you know, what can seem to be a very insular kind of, of um, social group within New York finance. And so we need to look out for each other and stay engaged, get to know, you know, the current finance professors so that when they see somebody that they think of a, is of exceptional caliber, that they can pass them on to us. And, and I would, am more than happy to open up you know, my Rolodex and my connections to, you know, to help somebody who was just like me. Because I know I would not be here. I would not be in this job um, if it hadn't been for all the people who helped me along the way. And also with that in mind, uh, what is the best way for people to reach you if they have a question or just want to follow up with you? Probably the best way is through LinkedIn. Um, just my name. You'll find me. <laughs> Terrific. Uh, Cameron, we could talk uh, more and more about all the things that you've experienced, uh, but we're going to bring this to a close. And I just, I just want to say thank you so much for giving us your time today. I learned a ton. Everyone who's listening learned a ton. And we look forward to seeing what happens in your future. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is JB Adams. Please stay tuned for the second half of the Cromer Hour. When we come back, we'll meet with Cameron Dawson to get her responses to questions submitted by you, our listeners, and Crummer students and alumni. You are listening to WPRK 91.5, the voice of Rollins College, Winter Park, Florida.
Hi, I'm Mallory Bliss, an Early Advantage MBA student at Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. When I was searching for my next opportunity after graduation, an MBA at Crummer was the best opportunity for me. I was nervous about starting at Crummer with my science background, but my fears were calmed on the very first day. Crummer is helping me pursue my aspiration of working in the pharmaceutical industry. For more information on the Crummer Early Advantage MBA program, visit crummer.rollins.edu. Welcome back to the Crummer Hour on WPRK 91.5 Rollins College. I'm your host, J.B. Adams. On this program, we feature insightful conversations with the faculty, alumni, and students of the Crummer Graduate School of Business as we share ideas and advice in the areas of business, technology, leadership, and professional development. Today's show is brought to you by the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College and Victor Media Group. You can check out Victor Media Group and its growing library of shows and podcasts at victormediagroup.co. In today's Crummer Hour, we are talking with a Crummer alumna, Cameron Dawson. In an earlier part of her life, she was a professional dancer. And Cameron, as far as I'm concerned, you are still a professional dancer because you're, once you're a dancer, you're always a dancer. And after graduating from the Crummer School in 2012, she's had an eight-year career in the financial industry in New York City serving as an equity analyst for Bank of America, and she's also in a new role that we're going to learn more about in just a moment. We heard her describe her Crummer experience and some of her early career lessons, and now in this second half of the show, we have her here live with us in the studio so that we can learn more by having her respond to the questions that were provided by Crummer students, faculty, and alumni. Cameron Dawson, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you back. Also, uh, we have on our panel, Kyle Sawyer, current MBA student in cohort EA MBA 37. Hey everyone, happy to be here. Thanks, Kyle. We also have Reagan Gunter, current MBA student in cohort EA MBA 37. Hello everyone, thank you for having me. We have Clara Mount, MBA class of 2020. Hi, so glad to be here. And we have Gerardo Abril, MBA class of 2020. Hi guys, pleasure to be here tonight. And as always, I'm JB Adams, MBA class of 2011. Uh, Cameron, you have some news for us. Uh, we spoke to you last summer, and at the time you were working at Bank of America as an equity analyst. Can you tell us what has happened since we last spoke? Oh goodness, uh, the coolest thing ever. So. I had set a goal uh, at the beginning of 2020. I actually wrote it down and I said, in the next five years, I want to become a chief market strategist. And in nine months it happened. And I have now transitioned into being the chief market strategist for a smaller private wealth management private bank called Fieldpoint Private. It's based in Connecticut and New York, but with an office in Orlando as well. And I am participating in the uh, direction of our investment decisions in the research that we put out, as well as our communication inside and outside of the firm. Um, it is the job of my dreams. I feel like the luckiest person in the world. And it's funny because we talked about, uh, you know, what my future career goals were on the last uh, podcast. And I described literally this job uh, to you. And so I'm just thrilled and so excited for all of the, the changes and opportunities that have come about in the last couple months. And what are some of the things that you get to do in this new role that you were seeking? So I get to write a lot. Um, that's a big component uh, of, of the job, which is really communicating the views that we have about the market um, and really across the market, not just equities, um, but fit, fixed income and commodities and currencies and, and you know macroeconomics and geopolitics and encapsulate that in a coherent message that we can then share with our advisors and with our clients. What the next step is is to to take that 
communication and really expand it instead of just being in written form, but in, in podcasts and in news media. Um, and that's really exciting for me because I think we talked about it, which is I was trying to figure out a way to tie in my dance background and performing and loving to be in front of people. And all of this work I had done in finance and, and developing these muscles and analytics and this, you know, this um, you know, experience and in, in working in, in the financial industry and in research. And how was I going to marry the two? And that's exactly what this is, because over time, it's it becomes more and more public facing. And that that to me is a huge challenge, a huge area for growth and what makes me really excited. Okay, we want to dig a little bit deeper. So our next mm -hmm. question is from Reagan. Thank you so much for being here. Um, so I'm also interested in finance myself um, and plan to concentrate in that. So I was just wondering, what does your job look like on a day-to-day -day basis? And uh, what do you love most about it? Great. Well, first of all, I think you said you're EA MBA 37. Yeah, already at 37. Yes. I, it's like mm -hmm. finding out that people were born after the year 2000 when you hear that they were already <laughs> at EMBA 37. Um, so my job on a day to day basis is first and foremost is just being absolutely entrenched in what is going on in global markets. I read nonstop. I listen nonstop. I, my job never ends in that sense that I am always trying to be absorbing as much information as possible. Since I moved into this role, I, I haven't read a fun book in a while. I'm reading a lot of finance books um, just because, you know, there, there's so much to, to learn and absorb, uh, you know, from there a lot of it is then distilling information into whatever I'm writing at the time so I just actually published um, a total of three pieces today uh, so a lot of it is then taking it and putting it into a form um, that is digestible by our clients and then you know the next is all of the the machinations that go on behind the scene of of an actual investment or you know uh, you know private investment shop which is you know working on things like you know all the things if you've taken a finance class at, at Crummer, um, you know asset allocation process how do you go about doing capital market assumptions how do you prepare for risks um, you know what's the best way to do security selection uh, you know on a larger scale how do you um, you know do downside risk analysis all these things in different areas that in my prior role I was very focused in one specific thing and that was great because I got to cut my teeth and really refine those skills. Now, all of a sudden, you know, my aperture has just been blown wide open and I'm getting to put my hands into so many different areas and, and the nuts and bolts of how wealth management is done at the same time as all the really fun stuff about research and communication. So no day is the same. Um, every day is completely different, um, but I'm also only about two months in. So um, I'm sure, you know, there'll be, you know, some, some stride that happens in time. Great. Kyle. That's a really tough decision to make. And it sounds like everything is working out fantastically for you. So congratulations. But did you did you learn anything from the process of making that move? I think, oh, yes, definitely. Uh, I, I probably shouldn't admit this, but I cried a few times, which is that you, you know, I, because I was, I, it was, it was an emotional process and I didn't understand how emotional it would be. I thought, oh, you know, it's fine. This is a great opportunity and, and I'll just look forward and move on. Um, and I think that you have to be prepared going into a transition like this that you are going to be emotional and to expect that uh, because you're saying goodbye to a lot of people that have been a big part of your life. And so you need to have a certain amount of courage to get over that because there was that moment that I thought, oh man, you know, they're saying I shouldn't leave. Should I not leave? I mean, it's, it's hard. And I just, I had to say, no, like you made this decision. This is, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. You cannot pass it up. Uh, so you know, transitions and change are hard. Um, and I think just embracing the fact that it was emotional was a good thing because then I was able 
to just say to all the people who'd been so helpful to me in my career at Bank of America, thank you, because I wouldn't have been able to consider a position like this at all if it hadn't been for what they had done for me and what they taught me. And so it's good, but like going through it is a lot. <laughs> sure, sure. Thank you. Uh, our next question is about your personal and professional development. And the question is from Clara. Um, yeah, so a huge theme through everything you've talked about has been balancing that creative or artistic side with um, uh, like the academic rigor and that constant learning. And mm -hmm. so I'm curious what you're doing now to make sure that um, you're be able, able to balance both sides. So that is the one thing that I'm trying to do more and more of. When I first moved to New York, it was a one-track mind, only focused on, on the finance and the analytics. And I really let that creative side of me uh, you know, sit on the back burner for a while. But as I've found over the past few years, as I've been writing more and speaking more and communicating more, the ability to draw on that creative mindset is so powerful because I'm able to then make connections in ways uh, that are um, different and interesting and people go, huh. And so I, I think it needs to be cultivated. Uh, for example, I may or may not have put a Spinal Tap reference in my notes that I wrote this morning. <laughs> and if that's not creative. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think that it's, you know, the creativity affords a level of playfulness and a level of curiosity. And I think that that is so important as a communicator. And the more that I will progress in this role, the more I will become much more than just an analyst, I will be a communicator. And so I need to find outlets and ways to nurture that spirit. And you know, and, and right now it's hard, we're all locked in our houses. And so, you know, usually it comes in the form of me like dancing around my house in some way. Um, but, you know, I think that it is so much a part of my soul and who I am that, it, you know, it'll never die. And I need to continue to work at ways of, of, of just nurturing that, um, that creative energy. Um, so if you have any suggestions. <laughs> I, I have a follow-up question. Spinal Tap the movie or Spinal Tap the medical procedure? <laughs> the movie, because when he has the speaker that goes to 11, okay. I why just don't you just make that. 10 louder? <laughs> because it goes to 11. That's, that's what I thought you were going to say. All right, the next question is from Reagan. You seem so highly motivated. Uh, what keeps you motivated on a daily basis? Goodness, uh, Motivation has been a challenge during the pandemic. I, I'm getting my work done, but I've learned a really important lesson about motivation, which is that it's not static. It ebbs and flows. And when every day is exactly the same, oh, that's a Nine Inch Nails reference. So look at, look, I mean, you see, like we're just, <laughs> we're going here. Um, um, when every day is exactly the same, like it was during, during lockdown, uh, there was no novelty in, in what you, know, you were doing each day. So I got the work done, but you know, I, I like to do a lot of yoga and, and kind of keep that that physical balance as well with, you know, with, with the work. And there would be days where, you know, I would, I would start and try to move. I get ready get on the mat and I'd be like face down and go like, I can't do it. I have no motivation to do it. And you just have to be patient with yourself to know, like I said, it ebbs and flows and to take advantage of the time when, when you're really feeling it and, and, and the motivation is high and then in the times when, when it is low, figure out ways to, to take care of yourself. And one of the things that I do um, that I highly recommend um, to, to most people I speak to is I, I bullet journal. Um, I keep, um, I, you know, for, for those, for the, for the people in the room, I keep like a very, very detailed journal 
every day about everything that I'm doing, all my tasks, all my work tasks, um, but also, you know, what I did during the day, how I felt, what I was feeling. And it's really helpful on the motivation front because it helps me kind of track what's going on in my head. So when I go into those times when my motivation feels lower than I would really like it to be, I can have better self-reflection and figure out what I need to do to kind of get out to the other side. So it, it you know, it is not a constant state. Um, it is ever changing. And I think an awareness of that and appreciation of that puts a little bit less pressure on you and frees you up from saying, oh, you know, why don't I just have boundless energy every single day? And it's because I'm human. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I'm going to go get a bullet journal now. So I appreciate that. <laughs> it's the best. It, yeah, it, life-changing, not to be overly dramatic. Follow-up question to that. Um, do you think there's a difference between doing it like on your phone versus an actual journal? Oh, I'm analog, analog all the way. <laughs> there's something that I, the, there's something about the user interface and quote of, of having a, a free form journal, which is what bullet journaling is. There's not set days and it's sort of creative. And maybe that's the answer to my creative question. And you can, you can design it in any way that you want. It is, um, really powerful so that you're not just interacting with a set interface that says you have to insert this here and there and heck it gives you a break from your phone and to actually write it feels good and I, I mean I have it with me at all times and so I, I think the the actual analog version of it is is one of the most powerful things about it. You're listening to the Crummer Hour on WPRK 91.5 Rollins College. Our guest is Crummer alumna Cameron Dawson, and we'll continue our conversation with her in just a moment. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Sarah Neely. I am an Early Advantage MBA student here at the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. Crummer has enabled me with hands-on real-world experience that has been translated inside and outside the classroom. I'm very excited for not only the rest of my second year here at Crummer, but also in the future and to come back and visit. For more information on the Crummer Early Advantage MBA program, visit crummer.rollins.edu. Welcome back to the Crummer Hour. I'm your host, JB Adams. Our guest is Crummer alumna Cameron Dawson, and with us we have our panel of Crummer students and alumni who have more questions about Ms. Dawson's career. Is there a book that is particularly significant to you in terms of your growth and development? What's the message that really gets across to you? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, we could talk for hours about books. So if you'd like to, we could just keep, keep going on this. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I have, let's see, you know, on, on personal development, there's a few books that, that jump out that might feel a little bit crunchier and some have some sales pitches in them, but they were actually quite helpful to me and re in helping me reframe my relationship with my thoughts and um, you know kind of were quite empowering one of them is called the code of the extraordinary mind uh, like that one has it's a bit sales pitchy but it's worth the read the book that actually accompanies the bullet journal it's called the bullet journal method is is a stealth self-help book but it's fantastic um, and then there's another really simple kind of thinking book, um, you know, kind of assessing how, how you think um, and how that impacts your, the way you experience your life. It's called The Big Leap. Um, those are three good ones and kind of helping get back to some more empowering thoughts. I mean, there's fantastic, you know, for, for people who want um, finance books that, you know, to, to, you know, for a good introduction to things, um, you know, more money than God is a fantastic one. It's about the history of hedge funds. The Lords of Finance is, is a great one about, about central bankers during the, um, um, during the great depression. I just finished uh, Quinn and Turner's boom and bust this morning. Um, that's a fantastic book about financial bubbles. Um, 
last one, um, the care, uh, what the rise of Carrie. Oh, probably the most fascinating book I've read all year. It's about, you know, the inherent weaknesses in the financial system as the, as Carrie traits have proliferated into everything that we do. So, uh, that's a, that's a real fun one. C Cameron Dawson, more than anyone I know, you can make a books about finance sound <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> because it is fascinating. Oh, it course. is fascinating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're closing in on our final questions. Um, our next question is about your career advice and it comes from Kyle. So Cameron, uh, a lot of entertainment jobs can be difficult to break into, acting, dancing, singing, etc. I actually pursued film production a little bit before I uh, chose to get my MBA and I'm not, suggesting that listeners give up on their dreams by any means. I feel like that's so important. But what do you think is a sign that someone should move on to pursue other opportunities? When, when, or when should they stick with it? Blow your ankle out. I mean, it's, 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 it's one way to, to kind of force a career change. Um, I mean, that's what happened to me when I transitioned from, from dance into, into school. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that, Okay, maybe here's the answer, which is see what brings you energy. And I, I mean that, and we all, you know, going through Crummer, you probably have done the Myers-Briggs analysis, right? And, and in, your official, in your initial, like, you know, this is how we are going to be a team and sing Kumbaya. And one of the things is introvert versus extrovert. And it's not, hey, I like to be around people or hey, I don't like to be around people. The nuance there is actually, where do I get my energy? Do I get energy by being around people or do I get energy by having my oh, alone time? And so when I was making the decision uh, in my career of whether I would pursue going down this market strategist role, which is by definition, more outward facing, more communicative, more engaging with people, which would be more extroverted? Or do I go down the path of, you know, becoming a long short hedge fund equity trader, which would be little engagement with people at a desk? I realized that the days that I was out in front of people and communicating with them and on the phone or doing presentations, I had boundless energy. The days where I was stuck behind my desk, working on a model, reading something, I was like, oh, I'm so exhausted. And not that I don't like that process, but I found that I gained my energy from the activity that was different than what would have led me to you know, go deeper into the sector analyst role. And so I decided to take a very controversial move. I mean, all my friends, when I told them this is what I want to do, they're like, you're crazy. Why would you do that? Why would you walk away from the opportunities that you could have if you, you know, if you took a role like this? And I said, because I know me, I'm never going to be happy behind a desk. And I had to learn that from taking a deep self-assessment about where I felt the energy. So what I would say is that when you are sitting and when you're, when you're doing your work and if, if it is not bringing you energy, then it's worth having an assessment to say like, can I change something? Can I tweak the dials to, to make it so that my activities would be more empowering to me? And if the answer is no, then maybe it is worth reassessing and, you know, and, and shocking people by a, a decision to go in a completely different direction. And gosh, it can be so exciting because, you know, it, it, it introduces novelty into your life and novelty can be extremely energizing. That's really insightful. Uh, Clara has a follow-up. Yeah. Um, did you ever doubt yourself when you were changing direction in one of those major ways? And if you did, how did you kind of manage that? Oh my gosh. Oh, all the time, <laughs> I, you know, and, and it, 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 the self-doubt comes in, you know, um, not just in changing direction, but oftentimes, and, and you know, have to fight it a lot. You know, it's interesting. There was an article that was was out on the Bloomberg yesterday that said, um, um, 
women are less likely to be promoted because they have to ask for a promotion, whereas men are often just given promotions. Um, they, they were, you know, not given, they earned them, but <laughs> that women have to, are more likely to have to ask for it. And women then at the same time are less likely to want to ask for it. And I had fantastic advice from a mentor of mine who uh, you know, has spent years in finance and is, is very, very successful. And she's just this power woman. And I was telling her how I really wanted a promotion and I thought that I earned it. And I was having a meeting with, with my boss um, the next day and she said, go home tonight and write down a list of every accomplishment that you have made, you've had in the last year. Everyone, I, all the ones that you can find and put numbers to them if you can. And boy, oh boy, I walked in with that list. And all of a sudden, all that doubt that I had that I thought, oh, you know, like, you know, I shouldn't have to be asking for this and it should just kind of happen. All of a sudden that went away. I slapped the paper down on the desk and I said, if this isn't deserving of that title, then tell me what is. And I would have never thought of that myself. I mean, that, that, that idea of self-promotion seems almost anathema to me. And, and cause I don't, I, I, you know, I don't want to be self-promoting, but boy, it was empowering. And it helped me reflect of all the things that I had, like, I, I'd, I'd already accomplished and that, yes, I was deserving of it. And I, yes, I should fight for it. And I did. And guess what <laughs> happened in like a month. So like, you know, you go like, well, if I just had done that sooner, you know, that would have been, you know, that would have been easier. And you know what that did? That set off a chain of events that then put me in the the place where I am today. And so you are your own best advocate. And sometimes what you have to do is you have to sit down and, and write out the things that you've accomplished. And, and, and even, you know, write out the things that you that you would have liked to accomplish. Keep yourself honest. I mean, that's why one of the reasons why I do the journal, because it keeps me honest. And if I haven't hit my goals, then, you know, I, I need to do something about that. But, you know, you you probably have accomplished a heck, a heck of a lot more than, than you think you have. And so mm -hmm. you deserve to stand up for yourself. Um, and putting something in paper can also be really effective because they go, well, you know, if, if she's showing this to me, she, she could be showing this to any potential mm -hmm. other employer. She could be showing this, you know, to another person, you know, uh, on another team. And so I think it's a worthwhile activity and I'm extremely grateful, um, you know, to the mentor who showed it to me. That's powerful for me to do it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Uh, Cameron, uh, I'm so sorry to say that our time is just about up, but I have one last question for you, and it is only this. Is there a message that you would like to share with the Crummer community, our students, our alumni, our faculty, our staff? What do you want to say to them? Thank you. Um, you all have been such a huge support um, to me. Just recently with the with the Lash Comer podcast, um, I got so many wonderful, kind messages from people that were, were really touching and just were so empowering. And it really speaks to the character of the Crummer community where people will take the time to congratulate somebody um, or and recognize them. So I just say thank you. That's a message that we can get behind, that's for sure. So Cameron Dawson, Crummer alumna, chief market strategist at Fieldpoint Private. It has been a great pleasure to be with you again. So thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I also want to thank our Victor Media Group team of Crummer alumni and students, which includes Kyle Sawyer, Reagan Gunter, uh, Gerardo Abril, and Clara Mount. Thanks for being on the show, guys. This was great. <laughs> thank you. Thank, thank you, Cameron. You. Again, thank you. That was so motivating. I know what I'm writing tonight, all the things I've done in my job so far, because I'm going in with that list. Down on the desk. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon with another episode. Today's Crummer Hour has been brought to you by the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. Now is a great time to consider enhancing your career success by pursuing an advanced degree in business. And the Crummer School offers a variety of educational programs to help you become a global, responsible, innovative business leader. 
To learn more about the programs and begin the application process, go to crummer.rollins.edu. The Crummer Graduate School of Business, experience excellence. The Crummer Hour is a production of Victor Media Group. It's the mission of Victor Media Group to make the world a better place by making ourselves better people. If you like this show, follow Victor Media Group on your favorite social media platform or visit our website at victormediagroup.co. Today's show was hosted by J.B. Adams and executive produced by Gerard Mitchell with sound editing by Aaron Trinka. Our gratitude goes out to Greg Golden, Director of Student Media at Rollins College, the entire team at WPRK, and Mike Brown and Loveland Finley in Crummer Alumni Relations for their gracious help and support. This is J.B. Adams, and until next time, Fiat Lux.